welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. So it's lovely to be up here again. Um, in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we are now coming to our, it's our penultimate week in this book. Um, and today we are going to look at grace, okay? Being a people of genuine grace. Now, the grace, oh, we've been feeling the grace of God this morning, haven't we? And the grace of God is such a beautiful thing. And you know, the Lord taught me about his grace fairly early on in my walk. Now, I, I know that I've shared with you the difference. I've shared with you fairly recently the difference that Jesus made in my life when I invited him in. Um, but, you know, let me, let me tell you a secret. I'm a really slow learner. Like, it takes me absolutely ages. It, it just takes me such a long time. And I will blindly, and if I'm really honest, rebelliously, keep on doing things my own way, particularly when it comes to stuff that props me up or helps me to feel better about myself. I'm just really slow at learning. So I want to take you on a little journey back to my 20s. We could call it the clubbing years. <laughs> and um, clubs are a great place for sharing Jesus. And we did used to share Jesus a lot in the clubs. But I have to confess, I also frequently drank far more alcohol than I should have done, okay? It didn't make me feel great about myself. Back then, I wouldn't have been telling you this story. <laughs> I can tell you because we've moved on a little bit. Now, as a backdrop to this story, let me explain to you that for some time, I had been trying to really press into the love of Jesus. Now, I knew it in an intellectual way. You know, I knew that, and I saw it happening through other people. I saw how God's love moved. But I'd not actually ever felt it, like, you know, that feeling of being loved. Okay, so that's the backdrop. Now, one evening, I had left my little ones at my sister's house for a sleepover, which was a great opportunity for Cap and I to go out clubbing without worrying about how we were going to safely get our babysitter back home. And of course... I did not respect my night of freedom with any degree of moderation. So, honestly, the next morning, apart from a banging headache, I felt like I had let myself down and I had let Jesus down. And as I was driving to pick up my children from my sisters in the morning, I was apologizing to God for what felt like the millionth time. Um, and I was wondering in my head how he could keep on forgiving me when I kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I felt a real sense of despair at my unholy patterns of behavior. And I just felt my lowest, and my self-worth was at rock bottom. And you know, it was then that the Lord decided to reveal his love for me. Right there in the car, suddenly, his Holy Spirit came into the car and filled up the car with so much love, that it immediately brought me to tears. And it was, it was honestly like nothing I'd experienced before. It was like this huge hug from the Lord that was really overwhelming. And right in the middle of that love, I learned in the most 
beautiful way possible, that his love for us is not earned, and it's not dependent on our good behavior. It is freely and willingly given to us as sinners. And that, my friends, is the grace of God. We don't earn it, and we don't deserve it. He loves us because he is love. And his love for us cannot be lessened by our unholiness. God freely gives again and again and again. Grace is us receiving abundantly from God what we do not deserve. Now, I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that most of you are far quicker learners than myself. Um, and you see, while I'm quite sure that your, your moral bar is a lot higher than mine was during the clubbing years, you can be rest assured that Jesus's is even higher. So let me give you an example from Matthew 5. We might self-righteously think, oh yeah, we're really good. We've never been unfaithful to our spouses. But Jesus says that even if you think about another lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. And we may think, okay, fine, but I've never killed anybody. But then Jesus says that anyone who is even angry with another is subject to judgment. And anyone who calls someone a, a fool, an idiot, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Now, check out Matthew 5 if you don't believe me. He Honestly, that's what he said. He sets the bar so high that none of us can comfortably sit on our moral high ground and think that we are right, good in our own in our, in, our, in our own right. We are all in the same boat as everybody else when it comes to holiness. Not a single one of us could stand before God as holy in our own right. So what has all this got to do with 1 Thessalonians? Well, when it comes to chapter 5, here's your verse if you want to follow it on your phone, it will come up, verses 12 to 15. Paul is asking the Thessalonians to have grace for our leaders and grace for each other. And as Jesus makes clear, if you've read the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, we can never outgive God, particularly when it comes to grace. So let's just take a look at these verses, shall we? It says, now, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So Paul is urging the Thessalonian church to live at peace with each other, to be patient and loving with one another. And you know, it's really interesting, isn't it, that um, uh, the range of different people and behaviours he mentions here, it shows that he's fully aware of how messy church can be and how people can do wrong to each other, even in God's family. It's a space where actually much grace is needed. But let's start with grace for our leaders, shall we? 
So verse 12 says, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. It defines leaders by what they do. They work hard, they care for you, they admonish and, and teach you. And the word hard work here is from a Greek verb, kopiao, which means to toil and strive and struggle. And it's usually a word that's associated with physical hard work and muscles and sweat. And he uses it again in, in 1 Timothy 5.17 when he speaks of those who labor in preaching and teaching. He's emphasizing the fact that church leadership is not easy work. And interestingly, here in this scripture, Paul doesn't actually give a specific name to leadership. He defines the job by the work that's being done. It's not the title and the position that he's asking us to respect. It's the work that's being done on our behalf, the labor, the caring, the admonishing. It says, hold them in highest regard in love because of their work, not because of their title. You see, kingdom leadership is not about titles and pedestals. It's about servanthood. We follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus, at the Last Supper, in John 13, 3 to 5, he, it says this, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So at that moment, when Jesus knew he had all things, all things in the universe, all things on earth, all things under his power, that's some power, he chooses to humble himself and serve his, follow his followers by doing what the lowest-ranking servants usually did in washing their feet. When we know that we have been given power and authority from the Lord, we choose to serve because this is the precedent that Jesus has set. So if leaders are our servants, does that mean that the leaders are at your beck and call? Well, let me ask you something. Have you, have you ever had a gripe with a church leader? Did they maybe not get back to you about something as quickly as you thought they should have done? Maybe you thought their priorities were perhaps not quite right about something, or maybe they admonished someone or responded to a situation in a way you thought could have been different, and you may have thought, mm, oh, I'm not sure if I had been a leader that that's quite how I would do it. Well, you know what? If you have, honestly, I'm not that surprised because I know that I have. Let's be honest about it. Um, but this is what Paul addresses here. He calls us to hold them in highest regard in love for the work they do. He knows the work isn't easy. He calls us to have grace. And we have leaders in this church at all different levels, from senior leaders all the way down to small group leaders, lots of leaders. Um, you know, as I explained, grace is giving love that is not always, it's not deserved. Okay, it's not about that. You know, while I was preparing this talk, I was looking up a few st statistics, put my teeth in with that one, um, about pastors. And I found, I found this study from uh, 2021, and it's from the US. But it says this, 
says that 90%, this is a good one, 90% of pastors feel they are called and in the place where God has called them to be. That's really, really positive. 72% of pastors report working between 55 to 75 hours a week. And if you think that the average hours in this in, in our, is 40, that's a, quite a lot of extra. 84% of pastors feel that they are on call 24-7. And 80% of pastors believe that their pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Now, this is just a snapshot, and these stats are US stats. And um, I'm not sure if it would be exactly the same in the UK, because I know for certain that our work-life balance here in the UK is different to the work-life balance culturally in the US. Um, And I know particularly that in, uh, in our church, our lovely senior leaders sitting here on the front row are are really good at encouraging their pastors to strike a healthy work-life balance. And that's really important to them. But I do know this, from being in leadership for about 30 years, I do know, A, most leaders genuinely really love their job and really definitely feel called to it. B, most leaders really genuinely love dearly the people that they serve and delight to serve God in serving his people. But see, most church leaders I know really genuinely have to consciously carve out time out and and consciously take a Sabbath for themselves so that they don't become um, burnt out mentally, physically and emotionally. So Paul asks us to hold the allies in high regard. And I would also just emphasize, you know, your leaders do genuinely have your best interests at heart. They really genuinely do. They've been called to love and serve you. That's what they feel called to do. So we need to support them in that, love them, pray for them, give them grace. So what about grace for each other? So let's just have a look back at that, uh, the, the, the verses again. Um, you can see that it's from verses, live in peace. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptors, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, always strive to do what is good. One of the things that, that struck me when I first read these verses, could we have them up just so that that would be wonderful? Thank you, thank you. One of the things that, that struck me about these verses is that Paul really fully expects there to be people in the church who are idle and disruptive and those who are disheartened and timid, and those who are weak and exhausted, and, in fact, those who do wrong. He has no illusions about what church can be like. He's completely aware of the range of different people in the Thessalonian church, and he still urges them to be at peace with each other. And notice here that grace does not mean blindly accepting bad behaviour. We should take steps to challenge it. Paul calls the Thessalonians to warn those who are idle and disruptive. But I'd balance that by pointing out that 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 the call to love and be at peace and do good to one another actually has a far stronger emphasis here. And I do think that someone is far more likely to accept any kind of admonishment or warning if they feel they're loved and accepted and cherished. And warnings over unacceptable behaviour should always come from a place of relationship and trust. Uh, You know, and that's where the grace has to come in, isn't it? Also, note at this point in the scriptures in verse 14, which is on the next one, is that um, Paul is talking to the brothers and sisters, which means all of us, not just the leaders. It's the job of all of us 
to support those around us, to, to warn, encourage, help, be patient. We are one body, one family under Christ, and, and we're all brothers and sisters in this. We need to look out for each other. It does take grace sometimes, but that's what we're called to do. And, you know, I think, um, I think this is just what I think I've learned from my experience that are basically um, two, barrier, two main barriers to people having grace in church. And I'm, we're going to put them up right now. These are the main barriers. Um, one is that they've not fully understood how much grace has come to them through God. I covered that a little bit at the beginning of my talk. We all have to have the humility to say, there but for the grace of God go I, to understand that it's only because of Jesus that we're considered holy and because of Jesus that we're able to choose a better way, not because of our own goodness. We all need to be checked at times when we stray to receive encouragement, help, patience at times when we're all struggling in some ways. You know, we're just as much in need of receiving as we are in give of giving, we, we need to be open to both of those, to receiving and giving. If we don't really understand that we've received abundant grace from God, it's much harder to freely give it out to others. Luke 7.47 says, those who have been forgiven much love much. And a second barrier that, that people have which hinders them from having grace for each other is having really, really specific ideas about how people in a church should look and act. Now, I think we all accept, every single one of us, that as Christians, we should be trying to lead Christ-like lives. Of course we should. But sometimes our human interpretation of what that looks like can become mixed up with cultural expectations rather than biblical ones. And this can be problematic when... Like in our beautiful church, we have a whole load of cultural expectations in the mix. When we have a range of different cultures, we need to be even more open to having grace for each other because expectations of behavior actually can be even more diverse. So let me just give you an example of that. When I was a leader of a church, a really culturally diverse church in Leeds, we had a situation where one particular woman just stopped coming. And eventually, through the grapevine of people talking, I found out why this was. And it was every pastor's nightmare. It was my fault. It was something that I had said. So previously, when she had not been for a number of weeks, and then I saw her again, I responded to her by saying, hello, stranger. How lovely to see you again. How are you doing? Now, for me, that word stranger was a term of endearment. It was an affectionate way of me recognizing and stating that I had missed seeing her around. But culturally, for her, that was an insult, as it implied that I didn't recognize the relationship that I had with her. Now, the trouble is that she didn't help me to understand this. She just left. So there was like nothing I could do to remedy the situation. Grace in this situation would have meant her putting aside the pain that I'd caused her heart so she could help me to understand why, I'd, why what I'd said was hurtful to her. And you know, that can be really, really difficult. I know that, particularly when it's a leader who's hurt you. I get it. But I would dearly love her to have realized I would never, 
I would never purposely insult anyone who I've been called to love and serve as a leader. And I, and I feel that I speak for all the leaders here. We would never do that purposefully. I wasn't given that opportunity. We need to demonstrate grace by assuming the best of each other in situations where we've been hurt. Did that person really intend to hurt you or ignore you or leave you out or speak to you sharply? Or is there something else going on that you've not fully understood about them? Is there some cultural difference that's caused a misunderstanding? You know, Matthew 18, 15 to 17 says this. This is directly from Jesus. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, like distance. Jesus encourages us first and foremost to go to the one who has caused us offence and work it out with them. And if there are still problems, then ask for help in solving it with one or two others. Now, we can really easily, my experience is, is that people often get this in the wrong order. And the first thing they do is the last thing Jesus says, which is they ignore and avoid. That's the last thing Jesus says to do. And then, or worse, they go to the second thing first. And they complain to everybody else about what's been done before the person's had a chance to answer to, the, to, to what, what, what's been done. So, you know what? Let's try and do things in the order. You know, maybe Jesus has got the right order. Maybe let's try and do it in the order Jesus asks us to do it. Talk to each other. Help each other to understand our differences. It sometimes takes courage, actually, to do that. But if we're going to be a people of integrity, then we need to have the courage to do that. It's what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to do. And you know what? Even in spite of all of that, we get to this last bit of the verse in verse 15. If that person actually genuinely, and I really doubt this, but if they did genuinely mean to do you wrong, Paul says, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. You know, always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Don't forgive, you know. It's like, this is grace. This is grace. This is the grace that we've been given. Um, that we love one another, pray for our enemies, don't seek revenge, don't hold grudges. So this is about us being at peace with one another, supporting each other and loving each other and being a loving community. Let's be a community that reflects the abundant grace that God has poured out over us. We're human. We make mistakes. But we're called to help each other in that, support each other leaders and followers alike. Should we, should we pray? Let's just pray. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.